0: Uh, so, you see, our title for today's lesson is What Shall I Do? And this set of passages is actually going to be familiar to, to most of you. Um, so, if you want to follow along in your Bible, or if you need one, there's some in the back, or you can open up your app and, and tap through and follow along. Um, but I'll still have the, the, uh, the verses on screen. So, let's begin with the reading. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. and do likewise. So the the parable of the good Samaritan—it's it's probably the the most well-known of Jesus' parables. And maybe if you grew up as a baby boomer, or maybe Gen X, you may have been told when you were a kid, "Oh, you, you have to be like the good Samaritan—go that that boy that that you know who's more interested in science than reading comic books or watching movies. Won't you go be a friend to him because everyone thinks he's he's weird or that." That girl in school who she shows up with half a sandwich and maybe a single cookie and maybe a small little container of juice, and you show up there with with uh, like a whole sandwich and a whole package of cookies and a a large jar of juice. Why don't you go share your food with them? Um, but there, there's a tendency for all of us to focus on the parable that the, in the in the passages that we covered. But but actually, the entire point of of this part of scripture, these passages, isn't intended to be about the Good Samaritan. Um, it's actually more about how one inherits eternal life. So let's, let's get a sense of time and place first. So the Lord Jesus Christ is in his, in his final months of his earthly ministry, and he's working his way towards Jerusalem, and he's passing through the towns of Judea, and he's preaching about eternal life, and he's performing miracles. And... Some of the people in some of the towns are very receptive to what he's saying and some of them reject him. And during his journey towards Jerusalem, he encounters a lawyer and the lawyer has a question. And so a certain lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, stood up to test him saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So most translations will have uh, the word lawyer, um, while some, some others will identify him as a scholar or an expert in the law. But regardless, this is someone who, who memorized Mosaic law and supposedly knew what it said. And, and he clearly believed in eternal life because uh, it, was, it was a teaching of the Old Testament of which this guy said that he was an expert in. So we look at this passage and we see the, the lawyer is trying to trip Jesus up with, with a question because by now Jesus has been stirring things up. Uh, and stirring things up to the point where the religious elite are starting to get upset and they're looking for ways to accuse him of, of heresy or, or, or blasphemy. And the question that the lawyer asks is a legitimate one. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and eternal life, obviously, is, is something that we're all seeking, but sometimes we don't think about it until such times when, where we experience some type of tragedy or we realize just how frail our lives really are. And so sometimes we ask the same question that the lawyer did. But if the Lord Jesus Christ gives the lawyer and the people who are watching this incident take place an answer that somehow seems new or seems outside of the Torah, then they've got him. He's fallen into their trap and can be deemed a heretic and a blasphemer and a false teacher. And the, the lawyer, as we, we can see, he actually has a problem here. You can probably spot it in the question that he asks. He asks what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So his, his focus is I. It's what can I do? What accomplishment can I do? And what works can I perform t- in order to inherit eternal life? And that's, that's the wrong way to ask the question. Because to, to inherit something means that it's given to you, that it's set aside for you, that it, it, it's yours. And it, it's something that ideally should not be earned. And our inheritance of eternal life from God is clearly not something that is earned by works. So the Lord Jesus Christ answers this guy's question with a question of his own. Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So what, um, So let's take ourselves outside of the 21st century and let's put ourselves in the mindset of a first century Jew at this time. Um, and what this scene that we're, that we're actually witnessing in the first century, the lawyer is wearing something in Hebrew it's called a teflon, uh, modern translation is phylactery. Um, which, and these were small leather boxes that one wore on the arm and one wore on the head and they had pieces of scripture inside of them. And what Jesus is basically asking him is, what do you have written on your arm and written on your forehead? And in this man's phylactery, and, and in most of the phylacteries, um, the most essential parts of scripture were there, specifically Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, in, in Hebrew, the beginning is, it sounds like this, it says, Shema Israel Adonai Elanhenu Adonai Ehad. And that's basically the start of Deuteronomy six, verse four, where it's written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be phylacteries between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then the second part of what the lawyer says is from Leviticus um, chapter nineteen, verse eighteen: "You shall not take vengeance, and you shall not keep your anger against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." And this is, this this prayer is called the Shema. The Shema was a prayer that Ju- the Jews prayed in the morning and in the evening, and it's probably one of the most well-known prayers. Uh, To the ancient Jews and the first-century Jews, because it it was their profession of faith, and these two commandments actually sum up the entire law of Moses: love God and love your neighbor. Which kind of begs the question: is how how does one love God? How do you love someone you can't see? And that's where action comes into play. So, love for God is an active thing—a profession of love without actually doing something is is basically it's kind of an empty kind of love. a false kind of love just saying just like saying that you'll obey someone and just not obeying is is like a false commitment or a false promise and we've probably heard a lot of people say I love Jesus and that's all they say but there's nothing in their actions to show that they're loving Jesus because if you love someone then you'll do things for them and you'll sacrifice things for them and if you truly did love God then you would do what God says and when God says love your neighbor as yourself God means that there has to be an action involved. And the evidence of loving God translates into loving your neighbor. And these words were important enough that the lawyer had them in his phylactery. And so the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, and he said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So so Jesus actually does two things with this statement. First, he actually commends the lawyer for his correct answer. But then Jesus turns a table on him. And instead of being the hunter, he, the lawyer becomes the hunted um, because Jesus had the lawyer answer his own question. And by answering his own question, the lawyer now becomes accountable for his own actions or the actions that he hasn't taken. But there, there's a little detail in here that the most of the Bible translations don't catch. So the NIV doesn't have it, the ESV doesn't have it. The New Living Translation doesn't have it, and neither does the King James Version have it, but the Amplified Version picks up on a small detail, which really isn't a small detail. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this habitually, and you will live. But he, wishing to justify and vindicate himself, asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the Amplified Version adds the word habitually, and and that's what the original Greek word poyao, implies it's keep on doing something be consistent make it a habit develop a repetitive pattern of loving god and loving your neighbor and most of the time we don't need to be reminded about things that are habits but we do re- need to be reminded about things that aren't habitual and and the lawyer at this point and, and keep in mind that there's a whole bunch of people watching and listening to this interaction he's he's heard jesus word jesus's words and he probably feels guilty deep down on the inside because. He was told that that he's doing he's not doing something that he should be doing, and so in an effort to justify and vindicate himself, basically in an effort to prove his innocence, he asked Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" Because what Jesus just told him, "Do this habitually, and you will live." It's a it's a pretty pointed statement, and none none of us likes to be accused of being deficient in something, uh, especially in front of in front of a bunch of people. But but. That's what the lawyer intended to do to Jesus, and now he's had the tables turned on him. So the lawyer must know that according to the law, he's not doing what he's supposed to do. He must know that deep down inside that he hasn't loved his neighbor, and he must know that he's been paying lip service to the law of Moses without actually doing what the law says. And how the lawyer reacts to this is is a reaction that a lot of people have. It's, it's, an, it's a self-preservation type of act that, that kicks in when we get ourselves into a predicament and we want to try to work our way out of it. Where instead of trying to make excuses and work our way out of it, the proper response to a question like this is, is admit, humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. But the lawyer, he does the opposite. He challenges Jesus. Well, okay. You told me that I need to to do this habitually in order to live. What are your terms? Who is my neighbor? Define the neighbor. And so, Jesus replies with the parable that we're all familiar with. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back." Um, so we're not going to uh, examine the parable itself in great detail today, that's actually for next week. Um, but we're gonna gla- we'll just glance at a few things. So first of all, there's, there's this gentleman, he's traveling clearly on his own and he's robbed, beaten half to death, stripped naked and left to die. And you have two guys who pass by, a priest and a Levite. And the guy who's been beaten up uh, and left to die is a Jew, and the two men who pass by, the priest and the Levite, are both Jews. And the people who are listening to this story are expecting that the person who's going to show up is going to be another Jew. And most likely this is going to be just an ordinary guy, just a a common man who's gonna come by and he's gonna rescue the traveler and save the day. Because back then, the the common folks actually hated the religious elite. So they were probably thinking that when they heard about the priest, and they oh wait, that's, that's exactly how they would respond. But the next person who's gonna show up is gonna be a Jew, he's gonna be the hero, perfect. And the person who shows up is a Samaritan. It's like the the enemy of the Jews, who's uh, they were half-breeds. And people were listening, who were listening to this, were thinking, "Like this, this is not right. This can't. You can't have a Samaritan be the rescuer." And yet, it, the rescuer was. And the Samaritan's kindness for a fellow human being was an under, unhindered kind of, of and an unrestricted kind of love. And it, it was also a generous love, as we can see by what he did for the injured man. And for Jesus to to tell this parable actually made the Jews who were listening, made them look really bad. And and the question Jesus asks is, is meant to force the lawyer to think about who he is deep down on the inside, to make him realize that he's got a lot of things wrong and to get him to realize that memorizing the law and practicing the law are two different things. And the lawyer failed in the most important of the two. But it gets worse. So Jesus asked him, which of these three do you think proved himself a neighbor to the man who encountered the robbers? And he answered, the one who showed compassion and mercy to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and constantly do the same. So you notice here that the lawyer can't bring himself to say the name or the word Samaritan. He actually has to say the one. That's how much he hated Samaritans. It shows how deep the hatred was that was between the Jews and the Samaritans. And as we're watching this scene unfold, it's almost like Jesus probably has to draw that answer out of him. Which of the three do you think proved himself to be a neighbor? And you can probably imagine the lawyers. It's like teeth are probably gritted, face burning with anger and embarrassment. Um, And what's interesting is when Jesus says, go and constantly do the same, the literal translation from the original Greek is go and keep on doing it which the Amplified uh, Translation doesn't have. So go keep on doing it. Consistently be a neighbor. Consistently show God love. Consistently show your neighbor love. And, And what's really sad about these passages that we just read is that we don't know what the lawyer's fate is. The lawyer started out trying to trap Jesus. Then he tries to prove his righteousness and his innocence, and then he ends up walking away guiltier than ever. And we we can safely assume that he probably didn't learn his lesson because he's not mentioned again anywhere in scripture. This is the last that we see of this lawyer. So let's look at a few lessons from the lawyer. So the first thing is is that he asked the wrong question with the wrong motivation. So he thought that his knowledge of Moses' law could save him and he thought that he had the right answer because of his expertise in the law and that that's like a person having having a title like attorney or doctor or officer or politician or preacher thinking that they all know all there is to know but there's an inherent danger in, in having titles when we give ourselves titles and when we when we have that piece of paper that that gives us that title because sometimes we automatically think that that title or that degree automatically entitled a, entitles us to think that we're more than we really are when the reality is is that such things are actually a starting point and we have to advance and grow with humility instead of conceit and we all know that religious practice doesn't save anyone Uh, ritual doesn't save anyone only faith in the saving work of the lord jesus christ is what saves us And we have to break the mindset, and a lot of people have to break the mindset that carrying the label of Christian doesn't automatically entitle a person to salvation, no matter what they do in life. Anyone can bear the label of Christian, but uh, not everyone is willing to have the faith and the love that's required to actually live as a Christian. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit who works in us and works on us and Most of the time, if you're open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, he might remind you that you need work, and sometimes in very uncomfortable ways. Second lesson we can pull from this. How we love God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is directly proportional to how much we love our neighbor. So a heart that is open to the Lord Jesus Christ will be open to those to whom Jesus loves. God gives us a command to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the less we love our neighbor, then the less we love God. And we show God our love for him by obeying his commands, whether it's to love our families and love our friends, or if you're like Nathaniel who goes to the other side of town, sometimes to love on on people who probably haven't experienced love in a long time. And we've had people in this church go to the poorer parts of the country and to the poorer countries to love on people who were never shown love in the first place. And so God has given us neighbors to love, but sometimes we don't see those neighbors because of whatever personal biases or mindsets that we have, that we grew up with. And many of the first century Jews who are witnessing this account take place had the same biases and mindsets of a lawyer. And when the Samaritans mentioned, they clearly were disgusted by it. And, and, and they were probably thinking, oh, the audacity of this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, to say that a Samaritan can be more loving than a priest, a Jewish priest or a Jewish Levite or, or just a fellow Jew. And they and, and we, we, we tend not to like it when, when Jesus tells us the truth through some of these parables because Jesus' truth most of the time is offensive to people who like going their own way and don't like to be corrected. Third lesson. How we love our neighbor reveals how we really feel about God. So we all want to love God. That's something that's ingrained within us, but sometimes it doesn't come out for whatever reason that we have. And so when God makes demands, we keep them at a distance, just like we often keep our neighbor at a distance, that way when our our neighbor comes knocking on our door because they need something or... They want to borrow something or they just want to have a talk. Sometimes we pretend we're not home or that we're too busy. And, and God has a habit of knocking on our hearts until we make a decision. And when God says, you need to go minister to that man whose son is having all of these problems because he needs the peace that you bring him just by being there, go do it. Or When God tells you that you need to minister to a widow... And that might mean taking time out of your day, your busy day, or traveling somewhere. Go do it. Or when God tells you that you need to spend more time in his word than you're doing now, go do it. You go do it, and you do it continually. Because when it comes to God's commands and us following God's commands, we're not meant to be one-hit wonders. We keep on following even if the results don't always turn out the way we want them to turn out. Keep doing and doing and doing and loving and loving and loving. Because if we ignore our neighbor, who's often right in front of us, how much more are we going to ignore God? And, And sometimes we ignore God because we want things on our own terms, which brings us to our final lesson point. The lawyer wanted to choose who his neighbor was. So there's nothing in god's law there's nothing in scripture that says we can choose who our neighbor is the lawyer wanted to help only those he wanted to help who he deemed was worth helping and and he we don't get to decide who's worth helping that not according to god and to pick and choose and to cherry pick who we want to help and who we don't want to help nearly puts us in the position of god where we decide who's worthy of help and we and who's not worthy of help And none of us is strong enough to wield that type of power and actually make a right decision. And like Christ gave up his glory in heaven and gave his life for us so that we would have his example to follow. And the Lord Jesus Christ came for all people. For all people who would willingly accept him as their savior. He didn't just come for a select few like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious elite. Christ doesn't discriminate as to who the neighbor should be, and neither should we. So here's a few things to ponder. First, is your love for God just lip service? So the Pharisees were really good at putting on a show for the public. We know we know this. They... Their words, their prayers, their petitions to God, they, they, it had no heart behind it. It was just for show. They were, they were the virtue signalers of the ancient world. Be wary of such people who, who put on a show, who say to you, do as I say, but don't do as I do. And be wary of the people who preach themselves to you as if their experience matters more than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must love God as if he is our own personal God. And this, this relationship with our, with our creator and, and with our savior and with our counselor, this is a relationship we need to value and pursue. And, and God isn't like someone who you would meet on a, on a dating site where the profile looks really good and so you swap texts and hoping to meet if you're actually brave enough to meet in person. Um, being in a relationship with God is almost like being stuck in a broken elevator with someone you're close to. There's nowhere you can go from this person. It's just you. And God and he knows when you're lying he knows when you're trying to puff yourself up he knows the deepest hurts that you have and he knows the greatest joys of your life and the worries that you have about the future loving God means loving him with all that you are even with all of your hurts even with all of your losses even with all of your mourning and whatever makes you happy whatever brings you joy ritual practice and religious practice is not loving God when you don't know or don't care about the meaning behind of what you're doing so we have to go beyond just ritual and religion and actually spend time with the one who made us and let him through the holy spirit lead us in this life so that our testimony isn't just hollow words which brings us to our second question what is written in your own personal phylactery so we, we we all actually do have personal phylacteries. I, people have bumper stickers, car magnets, the wallpaper on your phone, um, Bible verses that we send to each other, that we tweet to each other, that we email to each other, that we text to each other, that we post, or that we hang on the walls in our homes. Everyone has... A phylactery and whatever you have on your file phy- in your phylactery tells a lot about the person you are right now whatever you think whatever your hand reaches out for are the things that are precious to you and they guide you because those are the things that you have ever before you and whatever the world tells you to hold in your hands let it go and fill it with what God wants you to take a hold of a sacrificial ministry instead of buying junk that you don't need or developing a godly character instead of having the best reputation in your community. Anonymity instead of fame. Humility instead of having an arrogant, attention-seeking pride. Whatever the world puts in your head, swap it out for the word of God. Let his words guide you and your thoughts and push out those things that the world says are important because they're not. The world... Constantly wants us to love ourselves because when we love ourselves, which is a natural instinct of the fall Then everyone else becomes irrelevant and loving yourself in the end will take you to a very very lonely place and Remember too that what you carry in your personal phylactery is actually a promise that you make So choose wisely what you put in your personal phylactery This brings us to our third question do you choose who your neighbors are? Well, we, we all want to choose who our neighbors are because that's a safe place for us, because that's what we know. But but Jesus doesn't want that. The best way to know if you're choosing who your neighbors are is to see how defensive you get, you get when you're asked to help someone who has a genuine need. And most of us will rise to that occasion, but a lot of us have been so battle-scarred because we've tried to help someone in need only to be burned in the process but the lord jesus christ wants us to keep doing it anyway to keep reaching out to your neighbor to keep loving your neighbor even if they've hurt you pray for them pray for your enemies who've hurt you and dare to actually love your enemies so the greek word used for love in these passages is the greek word agapao and that's the original Greek word in the Bible, but many of you will probably recognize a modern Greek equivalent, which is agape. So agapao is the highest form of love. It means every part of you, physical, mental, and spiritual, is involved in loving someone. It, it, it is an unconditional love. And agapao is the word for love that is used in the most well-known Bible verse, John 3.16. God loved us with everything that he is made of everything that is in his being an infinite and all-powerful god loves us with everything that he is and he loves us so much that he gave his only son to die for our sins and if our god loves us that much then we're called to love those uh, called to love others with that same type of love so Here's one final question. It doesn't need explanation, and it's something to meditate on. As Nathaniel leads us in our final song, it's, "Am I being a godly neighbor?" And it's a question that we will address next week um, as we examine the parable of the Good Samaritan itself and what it tells us about being a godly neighbor. And Nathaniel has chosen our final song as "I Give You My Heart." So, um, why don't we? Why don't we? stand and allow Nathaniel to lead us through his final song and meditate on that final question.